Welcome to another episode of Vermont Ed Reads. We're so glad you could make it. In this episode, we talk with librarian Margie Putney from the Burr and Burton Academy down in Manchester, Vermont. She and I read Dive Into Inquiry, Amplify Learning and Empower Student Voice by Trevor McKenzie. Don't those two things sound amazing? Who doesn't want to amplify learning and empower student voice, I ask you? Mackenzie presents strategies for scaffolding inquiry with your students that you can put into practice tomorrow. Heck, why wait for tomorrow? Why not put them into practice after you finish listening to this podcast? For instance, when was the last time you polled your students asking them what they think makes a great teacher? Aha! See? All kinds of nuggets of goodness in this one. Plus, we talk moving the sage on the stage to a guide on the side and why most classrooms need, really need, some kind of librarian bat signal. When in doubt, I'm Jeannie Phillips. This is Vermont Ed Reads. Let's chat. Thanks for joining me, Margie. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Thanks, Jeannie. I'm Margie Putney, and I'm the librarian at Burn Burton Academy in Manchester, Vermont. This is my fifth year at Burn Burton. Um, I grew up in Philadelphia, and I've been in Vermont for about 20-plus years. Excellent. Uh, You and I are librarian compatriots. We've been to conferences together, and we've done some work together, and it's just such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And for once, having a librarian on talking about a nonfiction book, a teacher book, and not um, a fiction book. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. One thing I like to ask my guests right away is, what are you reading? Ooh, I'm reading a good book. It's called Know My Name by Chanel Miller. Are you familiar with it? Uh, Is she the student at Stanford? She is. She's the student who was sexually assaulted at Stanford while she was unconscious behind a dumpster and there were two graduate students that found her and stopped her attacker. Um, the book is beautifully written. It's so powerful to f- hear her voice and to know her name because she was Emily Doe. She also was the one who had that uh, the viral statement, victim statement. That's what I've read. I've read that viral statement, and it was such a powerful piece. So I'm looking forward to adding this to my to-be-read pile. I highly recommend Um, Let's start with a definition of inquiry, if we could. Um, Trevor McKenzie, the author of this book, starts with a couple definitions at the beginning and then defines it himself. Do you want to go ahead and share one of those definitions? I do. I loved the very first definition. It's before the introduction, and it's from the book Focus on Inquiry. And it says, inquiry is the dynamic process of being open to wonder and puzzlements and coming to know and understand the world. So I had a very specific memory, as I think especially as I read that quote. When I was in eighth grade, I went to a small school. We had a very cozy classroom with multiple bulletin boards that were always decorated. And at one point, I noticed one of the bulletin boards was completely blank. I think maybe it had wrapping paper on it and a tiny little box in the center of it, which made me curious. And I went and I opened the tiny little box, and there was a quote in the middle of the box I don't remember the exact words, but what I got from it was something like curiosity is the beginning of knowledge, and it was a little quest. You had to go to a different place in the school 
and you got a special pin that you got to put on. So the teacher knew by seeing you wear that pin that you had been curious and you had followed through. And so for me, inquiry is curiosity. And my hope is that we get students super excited and curious about things. That is a great story. And I I feel like for me, inquiry is about curiosity, but it's also about having the tools necessary to follow through on curiosity, which is where great school librarians and teachers come into play. Yay, yay. Plug for librarians. (laughs) I think we'll do it a few times, won't we, during this podcast? I I think we're going to do a lot of librarian cheerleading. (laughs) Um, And so uh, there's also um, a definition on page nine. I'm going to turn there and read that one. Trevor McKenzie says, um, for me, inquiry goes beyond these terms. I see inquiry as the strongest method to create personalized learning pathways for all learners, a method that brings the curriculum of life into the curriculum of school. I love that definition of inquiry um, as inquiry is this powerful sort of hook to engage students and to personalize learning for them. But I feel like it's missing a little bit of the specifics. And I wondered if you could give us some more details about the process of inquiry and what's involved. To me, inquiry is comprised of multiple steps. And you and I have talked about this a little bit in the past. I think that a lot of times... Um, there's a tendency to think, okay, kids need to do an, a research project or an inquiry project, and we try and do too much at once. Whereas, you know, th- we have the step of defining our question and then searching for information, evaluating our sources. So there are all of these really distinct steps, and I think we do a potential disservice to our students if we try and cram too much into the process. It's better if we focus on one thing at a time. I completely agree with you that the, it's a it's a complicated process for adults, let alone for our students, right? And that there's a lot of instruction and scaffolding and practice they need to do in the individual steps, whether it's um, finding information, um, figuring out which information helps them answer their question, and then synthesizing it and putting it into some new form or new understanding or new knowledge schema, um, and then maybe presenting it to the rest of the world. All of those are distinct steps that require a lot of Um, instruction, effort, practice. Right. And I think that a lot of times as adults, some of this has become second nature to us. You know, if you want to look for tires for your car, you're searching and you're evaluating and you're sort of doing it at the same time. But maybe we should think of them as separate pieces or at least identify them for students until they evolve in their inquiry skills and they sort of do it at once. Daniel Kahneman in the book, Thinking Fast and Slow, calls that a heuristic, that we develop these shortcut methods by which we make decisions or by which we um, can do things really quickly, but students sometimes, and adults too, have faulty heuristics. And so Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about my students searching um, they'll often only look at the first page of Google, or they'll they'll type the whole question into a Google search engine, and and not understand why they didn't get the kind of um, hits that they wanted, the kind of documents or the kind of sites that they were looking for. Right. And so helping them create new heuristics for how to fine tune their search strategy is one like small piece of impactful inquiry. Agreed. Yeah. 
Um, so let's get back to Mackenzie's book because I, I do love the way he is sort of harnessing inquiry as a way to really engage students fully in their learning. And um, one of the things I noticed on page 13 was his work in engaging students in co-designing their courses. I love this idea. It makes me a little nervous. <laughs> you, you know, it's one of these opportunities that's a little scary because we're relinquishing a little bit of control and we're asking the students to come together with us and decide what's important to spend the semester on. What, what's really, we, we have a lot of teachers, educators in this state who are doing negotiated curriculum with students, and we have some great examples on the Tarrant Institute website on our blog that I'll share in the transcript. But um, I think what really was powerful for me about this section is the way Mackenzie scaffolds it and walks through the how that right. he does that. I found it really fascinating the way he scaffolds it over time so that students have the skills they need to do it as they're doing it. Right. And I, we're doing, you know, we all, teachers and librarians, I think, do that within a semester or within a year with students. And then librarians, I think, are also sort of one step removed and we're trying to scaffold a lot of this over maybe the four years develop the skills and then go back and refine the skills or dig deeper with some of the skills. It reminds me a lot of what I used to do, um, uh, the way I used to think about planning um, when I co-planned with teachers as a librarian, which is to think about the places where we could embed more choice. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, Mackenzie hits on some of those, like what topics would you like to dig into? So it could be that the topic is the place of choice. Right. Um, it could be that the process is the place of choice, like the how you go about it has a lot of choice built into it. And then um, the product, what you create as a result of this inquiry could have a lot of choice as well. Mm -hmm. at, at our mountain campus, they do a semester. Are you familiar with the mountain campus? They do a semester long integrated curriculum and it culminates in a project, I think they're usually done in small groups where they're deciding a change that they can create in their local community and the end results run the gamut. And also the ways they get there, the paths they take to get there are all different. Um, that's excellent, I would love to see some of those and um, We'll talk about products again later on in, as in this discussion. Um, but I, I love this, like, there's almost a page and a half of questions that Mackenzie negotiates with his students. Um, what role do you see technology playing in enhancing learning in the class? Um, what, uh, do you prefer class discussions or teacher lecture? Why or why not? If you could demonstrate your understanding in any fashion, how would you choose to do it? Is this where he also talks about what makes a really great teacher? Is that that section or is that a different section? Because I loved that. I love the idea that he solicited information from the students, what makes a really great teacher. He made a list, I think, and then he holds himself accountable. He posts the list definitely within the classroom, and I think sometimes he emails it to his colleagues or puts it on Twitter. Yeah, that's in chapter three, and it's absolutely a fascinating thing he does where he solicits from kids what kind of teacher do they want him to be. 
And you're right, he shares that with his colleagues in a Google Doc form. He shares it with his students, and he uses it to assess himself, to evaluate his own performance in the classroom and ask students to give him feedback too. How am I doing on this? And I think that's a really um, fascinating approach. He also acknowledges that um, when you are focused on inquiry and giving kids this kind of choice, your role is going to be different. Um, And he redefines that role and he calls it, he says it's educator as coach, facilitator, networker, shoulder to lean on. At the Terran Institute, we've been thinking a lot about the roles teachers play in a personalized learning environment. And um, so we think of teacher as scout, right? And so in an inquiry project, you might be scouting ahead to make sure your students are going to have the resources they need um, or the the people. And some of those resources might be unconventional resources, experts in the field, right? it also made me think these are the roles librarians have been playing for a long time. They definitely are. Coach, cheerleader, supporter, um, teammate. I mean, what, <laughs> whatever it takes, but not, you know, in general, we all know. I keep thinking of it. It feels almost like a cliche now that we're not the sage on the stage. What is it? We're the guide on the side. And that's very much a librarian role. Um, it's always helpful any kind of heads up, and Mackenzie talks about that, any kind of co-planning, collaborating with the librarian, the sooner the librarian gets pulled in, the more scouting we can do to try and, you know, make it easier or, or also softly guide. We want the students to do the work, but, you know, if we can anticipate any roadblocks they might face, then we can anticipate how we might help guide them around. Yeah. He makes it really clear that the shift in role doesn't mean we're not teaching. It's just teaching in a different way. We're still actively involved. It's just a different role. And I always found when I was a a school librarian that um, one of the phrases I used most often that kids rarely heard elsewhere was, I don't know, but let's (laughs) find out together. Right. (laughs) And, And so often kids come to me with questions and I don't need to be an expert on it could be anything, right? Like working with kids on um, how to fix a snowmobile. I don't need to be an expert on that. Um, what what I can be an expert on is how to find the information you need to solve your problem. Right. How to help you. We can work together on that. Right. And that's what we're hoping to guide them towards. We want them to develop their skills so they're doing that more and more on their own. I think about, we were talking, I was talking with some other teachers about citations um, the other day and MLA style citations and when exactly do we teach students. And the conclusion we came to is it's really important to make sure students understand why we use citations, the value of citations, what what it demonstrates about the student. Let's say they're doing a typical research paper and if they have that sources cited page, that bibliography, that shows how much work they've done, how much knowledge that they've incorporated. Of course, it also gives credit to the original people. But that style piece, the details with the hanging indent or the alphabetical order, you know, yes, that's important, but they can find that out. And a lot of times they'll ask me a specific question and I'll say, I can't remember. (laughs) I'm going to, but I know where to look. And we want them, who knows where they're going to end up. They might be doing APA citations. But as long as they understand that framework, the fact that why we do it, the details they can pick up. And I love that appreciative approach to you've 
utilized all these sources to to impact your thinking why wouldn't you want credit for that yes we want to give credit to where you're getting your ideas from we don't want to plagiarize right Right. but also like you did the work of reading all that stuff own it right now you're you're the authority you know for this piece of information so you should take credit for that by sharing your sources it's a source of pride as opposed to a way to protect yourself from copyright infringement or plagiarism. Yeah. It turns that on its head a little bit. I love that approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also know that you've said in the past uh, that um, methods like this allow the learner to do the work. I think one of the other interesting things about teachers playing different roles when we're focusing on inquiry, when we're using inquiry to guide learning and personalized learning, is that students play different roles too. It's different than um, answering questions for a teacher, say, or um, doing a project as defined by teacher when you focus on inquiry. Do you want to think a little bit with me about um, the different roles students play as they go through the inquiry process? You should have seen right before the break, I had a student come into the library so excited because I had been visiting his class when his teacher was out one day and they were picking topics and they here's an example they were able to choose their own topic to answer a broad question and he had a vague idea of something he wanted to do and then since I saw him he specifically decided it was Edward Snowden I think was what he wanted to focus on and he had gone deep into it and he was so proud and this was one of the few times I think he would say that he got really excited about a project and the fact that he came running back into the library to tell me about it he had to do a speech that he was nervous about but as he was standing in front of me he rattled off all sorts of facts about Edward Snowden and I was able to point out you know what you have it all here's an example you're now an authority on Edward Snowden like you can do this yeah I I think I had the same experience with my son when he was in high school where his he got to do this really big research project on net neutrality and he was really fired up about it and um, he knew a lot more about net neutrality than I did in the end he was more of an authority than I am for sure but that's what we want you know however we can do it that's what we want we want to put the spark in them in the students so that they're doing it My, my son last night we talked about you know, the personalized experience, and we see it sometimes at home. I think parents can talk more about, of course, what's more exciting to their kids. He, We started a new semester yesterday or the day before, and he's in cinema and working on that first cinema project and writing a screenplay. And he had other homework to do. There was, like, AP history and other things, and he kept coming back to across the room spitballing ideas for his screenplay that he was excited about. Yeah. So that's what we hope. That's what we want for inquiry, right? We want them. A little enthusiasm goes a long way. Yes, it does. Yeah. Um, so we've already talked a little bit about this, but I love that in this book, there's actually a heading, collaborate with your librarian. And um, <laughs> Trevor McKenzie gives a lot of shout outs to librarians, for which we're grateful. We also want you, listener, to collaborate with your librarian. And I wondered if you wanted to talk about um, the, the things a librarian can offer as a collaborator on inquiry or what that might look like for, for educators who haven't collaborated with their librarian. Right. I mean, there are so many things that we can help with. Um, from, you know, sort of a probably a more obvious opportunity is when um, there's a specific topic that a teacher wants students to work on and curating a group of resources for the students. 
um, we had a freshman class and they did a project about the spread of Buddhism and they looked at it through the artwork. And so they, they had to research artwork. And as we talked about it and the conversations I got to have with the teachers were really helpful, we decided that it was really difficult to potentially for freshmen to research Buddhist art. And so we put together the articles for them to read. We found the websites for them to look at. So that's one um, place. And then that to me is a curation role. And um, sometimes I think we think kids have to do soup to nuts. They have to find their own sources. But sometimes finding resources for them um, makes for higher quality work, but also allows you to focus on, say, synthesis or... um, Uh, you know, finding the right um, information within the sources to answer, help answer your question and then present your learning or create something new with it. Right. And like taking another step in a few weeks, I'm going to be working with freshmen again. I seem to be recently doing a lot of work with freshmen um, in a wellness class um, on what are we, macronutrients, which I need to learn a little bit about myself. And the the purpose is going to be um, note-taking and annotation and synthesis. So that's another example of that's just a little piece of inquiry. And that might be a, a visit to the library or librarian into the classroom just to focus on one part for part of a class or for an entire block. Um, you can tell I'm really big on this idea of focus, you know, let's focus on a concrete part of the inquiry process. Soup to nuts is hard. And I love, you know, Mackenzie is taking us towards, he scaffolds towards this idea of free inquiry, which is so fabulous to imagine students deciding what they want to focus on and how they're going to get there. But he also, which I appreciate, lets us off the hook and says, you can do this in smaller steps. And it might take you a few years to develop a curriculum that's full inquiry. He really, I love this diagram. We'll put a picture of it in the transcript um, called Types of Student Inquiry. And he starts with structured inquiry, which, which is really scaffolded. It's in the diagram. It's in a swimming pool. And they're on the side of the pool holding onto the edge. And then he moves towards controlled inquiry guided inquiry and then free inquiry which is the deep end of the pool and so it's sort of a gradual release allowing students to gain the skills they need in order to be successful with free inquiry if we just throw them into the deep end right away they're not going to be successful we're going to be frustrated and we're going to be like kids can't do this it's too hard right it's overwhelming but we, we we can't expect them to do what we haven't taught right And so what I hear you saying is that we can chunk this out and teach bits of it so that by the time they're doing free inquiry, they have the skills they need. Exactly. They've gotten there. Um, I'm doing another project I was just talking about where um, there's a big um, essential question, and I don't know that I'm going to come up with it right now, but it's how does culture affect power or something like that. And... Again, a freshman class, that's a tricky thing to research. We do need to break that down. And we hope within their classroom, and the teacher's going to assist with this, that they'll talk about what are elements of culture. And we won't end up with students putting into a Google search box, you know, culture, South Africa, which might get good results, but might not. Yeah. It won't be specific enough for them to make sense of. It won't be. 
Right. So I, I love this idea that free inquiry doesn't just mean we just open up our classroom and say, study whatever you want. That A, there's a lot of skills embedded in this that we teach. That B, we tie it to um, the standards or the proficiencies that we're working on, right? And that C, we're giving them the support and the resources they need to be successful at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Mackenzie's also big on backwards design. And he really outlines in a way that I found really quite streamlined and and um, organized what um, good backwards design looks like in inquiry. And um, and he gives a bunch of examples. And I wondered about your thoughts about his approach to UBD. I love that he teaches the students about UBD. We talk a lot about the science of learning and how the brain works. And I think any time the students understand that will be helpful to them. And so Mackenzie sets up this idea that um, the students create their own unit of backwards design where they're figuring out what their goal is for their free inquiry project and then how are they going to get there. So they're really accomplishing two tasks at once. They're doing whatever the specific inquiry project is and then they're also building this skill of I have a goal, it's happening in the future and how am I going to get there and they reflect along the way and they assess and they adjust and keep aiming towards that goal I feel like you just defined self-direction without actually saying the word (laughs) self-direction right that by teaching this skill by teaching them like this is what I want to achieve and how I'm going to get there what's the roadmap looks like and I think he really does actually ask them to develop a plan to get there along the way and to adjust their plan over time right right? that he is unpacking self-direction without using the sort of catchphrases we use all the time for self-direction like persistence Mm -hmm. right he's not just saying persist He's teaching them how to plan, adjust, um, chunk out goals into steps, right? And he unpacks all of that in these next few chapters about how he asks kids to plan. Um, And there's a great graphic on page 42 um, that looks like a map. And essentially, he asks kids to do these steps um, to figure out... um, Uh, what they're interested in, what they're curious about, what they're passionate about, to ask an essential question, um, to create a proposal for their inquiry unit, to start to explore and research and collect evidence of their learning, and then um, to create something authentic and display it to the world. And I think those seven steps are really powerful. And one I want us to take a little time with is these four pillars of inquiry, because I think this is somewhere we sometimes have gaps. I really liked, that's another diagram I assume you're going to show a picture of the four pillars of inquiry. Uh, I had a conversation with a colleague who introduced what was called a passion project last year, and she said the students didn't take to it the way she thought. And some of the pushback she got was, I don't have a passion. And that's a tricky word for some of us. How many of us have identified especially at a young age, what our passions are. And so we have other opportunities, Mackenzie is saying, we could instead aim for a goal. We could delve into something we're curious about. We could take on a new challenge. And within this chapter, he also has a list of great questions that I loved. So he has 
interviews with the students as they set this up. Um, and now I'm looking at, I think it's on page 50. There's this list of questions. And my favorite is, have you ever lost track of time doing something? What were you doing? Yeah. Right? So instead of saying, what was your passion? Try and remember the last time that you got so caught up in something that you lost track of the time. That you experienced flow. Yeah. You know, I, um, my Roland Fellowship, um, I got a Roland Fellowship a few years back, and um, my whole proposal was about helping kids do this kind of inquiry based on what they were interested in or passionate, passionate about, and um, I developed a whole curriculum, and this was an area I spent a lot of time researching and really struggled with finding resources on is how to um, get kids to find the passion, find the thing, because it's not just shooting in the dark. It's not just like sort of blind luck. And one of my sort of takeaways, one of my new understandings I hadn't had before, I, I went through this whole inquiry process myself, was that being interested in things is a verb. Like you don't just have interests. People who are interested in things are interested in a lot of things. And that, um, I like that word interest better than passion, but mm. this is a skill we need to develop curiosity and passion and interest and engagement with the world and so these four pillars of inquiry help to develop that as a skill itself today i used some websites you shared with me to work with a class on evaluating sources and do you remember the i think you shared this with me it's like the state of Malasia. and <laughs> the fun part was so there's a, a fake website <laughs> uh, the Shh, don't tell <laughs> But it's you sh listeners should check it out. Uh, we should link to it because it's so creative and so, you know, deep in a way. There are multiple tabs. Anyway, we needed to move on in the class. And what I noticed as we moved on to the next step, there were lots of kids nudging each other and pointing out other funny things they found within the website. Yeah. They were curious. They were interested. Yeah. And I, I think they are. But then I think if you ask them, I don't know that the kids are are used to being asked and then we assume when they can't answer right away that they don't have those things instead mm. of thinking about how do we help them develop um uh the capacity to realize their interests are really important mm. and so i i really love this chapter seven and these four pillars of inquiry as a way of um getting into what might you want to study what might you want to dig deeper on uh, what might uh, wake wake you up or make you um, give you motivation to stay with this inquiry? One of his questions to prompt students to think about that, I think, is uh, let me try and find it. Oh, are there any topics you find yourself consistently arguing or defending to others? Right. So there's an example of, you know, a student that's arguing all the time about something. Maybe that's what they should be looking into. That's a great question. And then some, like, interest looks different for different kids. And so one of their students wants to be a nurse. And so their inquiry was about what, what does that look like? What could that be like for me? Or another one was interested in um, paramedics, right? And so sometimes it's not necessarily the thing um, – you know, it's not it's not something that might seem exciting to the outside world necessarily, but it's like a calling for these kids mm -hmm. and, and it gives them an opportunity to dig into that. I love that. Thank you, Trevor McKenzie, for these four pillars of inquiry. I could have used them a few years ago. This this whole guide would have been really helpful to me. Well, then. I did point it out to someone today who's working with students who, um, 
creating independent projects in, um, I guess, broadly computer design, but I'm not sure that's exactly what it is. And one of the students uh, was fidgeting with fidget toys. And that was the launching point. Well, okay, what do you, what makes a fidget toy work? And do you think you could design a fidget toy? And how would that work? And then there was a Rubik's cube that was in the mix. And this person could, the student could solve them really quickly. And so the prompt was, well, do you think you could make a program that would mix a robot that would mix up the Rubik's cube? Solving the Rubik's cube by robot, that would be maybe a little more too challenging. Right. But could the student, yeah. you know, so you're, make a mix? So you're asking questions related to what they're already interested right. in. Right. Yeah. That they're not necessarily focused on being interested in. But what a skill. I don't know if I have that skill to ask those questions yet. It's tricky. But you have a growth mindset, Margie. I, I trust do. you can develop it. <laughs> I'm going to work on it. And Trevor McKenzie. It's like a plug for the book. He's helped me. Uh, it, another thing he brings up a lot, which really rings true and resonates for the work we do at Tarrant and w- with Act 77, is this idea of authenticity. And I love this quote on page 67. He says, students want to have a genuine impact on others. And if we can bridge the divide between school and life, amazing things will happen. And I think a lot about how how frustrating it can be as an instructor when um, kids ask, when am I going to ever use this in real life? But on the other hand, that just demonstrates to us that kids really want something to be meaningful in the real world, in their real life. And um, this kind of inquiry can help bridge that gap. We hope so. Yeah. And that idea of authenticity points to some other things about authenticity that I found um, really... uh, um, that resonated with practices that I've seen be really successful in some Vermont middle schools, which is calling on community partners, experts in the field, to come and be um, someone that that uh, students work with. I've had students who were interested in photography work with photographers. I've had students who were interested in talking about um, uh, racial inequity work with people in the in, in out in the world who are doing work in in racial who are doing racial equity work and interview them and connect with them mm-hmm. um, and I think anytime we can bring uh, dentists and right. hairdressers and nurses and engineers and um, and that is a job for a librarian that's certainly a job a librarian can can help with and do so it's not we're not just about the books or the databases. It also is a lot of times connecting humans. Where is the authority going to come from? Yeah. Who maybe is the authority yeah. that we can pull in? At Manchester Elementary Middle School, we've had um, members of the select board come in and talk to kids. Mm-hmm. Olympians come in and talk to kids around different um, uh, for different projects so that kids had access to those real-world resources that is humans. Mm-hmm. And social media allows us really to network mm-hmm. with scientists and all across the world, right? right. Skype in ex- experts so we can think beyond our communities, but our communities are also really rich places for the Definitely. kind of authentic experts. Definitely. The local community versus the broader community made me think of using um, Twitter for certain things to research you you might get a larger, res- a more global response than just Googling something. When we were working on the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, if you put in the hashtags for the different goals, it's amazing you would look at things from Bangladesh and Thailand and as opposed to 
you know, a lot of times we get localized responses yeah. through our search engine. But that's also a way for students to authentically join the conversation, mm -hmm. right? So they're not just consumers of information, but they're also participants in this larger conversation. Mackenzie talks a lot about that, the presentation of learning, and he votes for um, having a digital representation of even whatever the work is. I think one of the projects was um, – revamping an amphibious vehicle do you remember that part and so you know clearly it might not be that practical to bring the vehicle into the classroom but the student videotaped the progress on the work and videotaped the the vehicle actually moving and that artifact that digital artifact can be shared out on a blog on a website through twitter and Absolutely. that reaches a larger audience it be and becomes authentic yeah when he calls these public displays of understanding and i am a big fan of giving student work and teacher work a public audience like mm. and especially in a um sort of an, an era where test scores are how we define um, the quality of our public schools having um, a public exhibition of mm -hmm. student work can um, provide a different um, sort of vantage point or lens on what's happening at school that's more meaningful to community members, right? That's more meaningful to say, oh, that's the kind of work they're doing mm -hmm. at this school. And whether it's a film festival or an art display or um, presentations out in the world, when we took MEM students up to, to present to the select board, it was really a powerful day because mm -hmm. those select board members got to see students presenting their work. Mm -hmm. We have um, an expo here, and we've expanded. Uh, I think initially it was science, and now they're trying to get every department to find ways to share students' work. And we're all eager to see it. Um, there's also a section in the book where uh, I think he's. it's earlier in the book, and Mackenzie's talking about establishing relationships with the students. This just made me think of this. And how we all know how important the relationships are. Um, and he interviews the students and learns things that we might not know. This, you know, the the passions or the interests or the the jobs, the person who's, you know, the sports player that you might not know sitting in your classroom or the ballerina or whatever it is. Yeah. And that's important to have that extra connection. Yeah. This makes me think, Mackenzie never uses these words. Trevor Mackenzie never says cultural responsiveness or, or culturally responsive pedagogy. Or, um, but what it makes me think about a lot is the way in which by, by inviting in students' interests, by inviting in um, the things that um, they're um, engaging with, that we are being more culturally responsive and honoring who they are. Right, like that we are saying the things that are outside of school that you bring with you, right, are important here mm -hmm. and they have a place here and you mm -hmm. can use them to leverage your motivation uh, for learning. Right. I found that to be um, a really powerful, quiet message in this book that wasn't said outright, but that um, felt really meaningful to me in this very short it's only like 115 120 pages of a really powerful plan for how to um, engage young people in their own learning in a more meaningful way i thought 
thought you were going to say dive into inquiry again. (laughs) (laughs) Or if we want to be cliche. I'm sorry. Dive into inquiry. Um, any other thoughts on uh, Mackenzie's approach to bringing inquiry into the classroom or into the way that you teach inquiry? Um, I think I said it once before, but I guess I, I always appreciate the idea that we can we can work in smaller steps. He does outline this broad plan for a future curriculum in whatever the subject matter that it's all inquiry based, the entire thing. Uh, which sounds great, but I love also the idea that we could start small. You know, we could start by offering choice and topic. We could start by offering choice of display and and let students really individually think about what the best means is our, and my grammar's not good anymore, late in the afternoon. (laughs) But depending on their topic, how are they going to share with us what they've learned about the topic? Yeah. Yeah, and they surprise us, right? Like they, they exceed our expectations when we give them the opportunity to do so. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate you helping me to think about inquiry um, and to uh, sort of dig deep into Trevor McKenzie, dive deep into Trevor <laughs> McKenzie's approach um, to bringing, uh, to, to, to leveraging inquiry for student engagement. Thank you so much, Margie, Thank for your you. time and your expertise. Anytime. Always happy to talk with you. I'm Jeannie Phillips, and this has been an episode of Vermont Ed Reads, talking about what Vermont's educators and students are reading. Thank you so much to Margie Putney for appearing on the show and talking with me about Dive Into Inquiry. If you're looking for a copy of Dive Into Inquiry, check your local library. Special thanks to Audrey Holman, audio engineer extraordinaire. To find out more about Vermont Ed Reads, including past episodes, upcoming guests and reads, and a whole lot more, you can visit vtedreads.parentinstitute.org. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at vtedreads. This podcast is a project of the Tarrant Institute for Innovative Education at the University of Vermont.